Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, which if you've seen, there's a pattern uh, this morning. It reads like this, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people, your royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as a temporary residence and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. You may be seated. Hey, well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Some of us have survived the Rona, uh, myself included. I was among those. Uh, um, for some people, for like me, it was heaven. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't have any real symptoms, but I got to stay by myself for 10 days, and it was wonderful. Uh, I was, got to pray, you know, I was praying for everybody. It was super spiritual with my time. I totally didn't wa binge watch Netflix or anything like that. Uh, man, Happy New Year, ACC downtown. It's so good to see you and to worship with you. It's been almost three weeks since we've gotten to do this together. And it, man, just singing these songs, these truths that, that we proclaim, it was, was life-giving to my heart and to my soul. And just to get to do that with each and every one of you is a blessing to me. Today, uh, kind of what we've been doing, if, if you've kept track of, of kind of what we're praying through, the reason for that is that next week we officially launch as ACC Downtown. And so we're, yeah, yeah, we're excited about what God's going to do. Uh, but with that, we felt it was only right to spend time in prayer and preparation. And so this morning, it's why it looks a little bit different. It sounds a little bit different. And that is going to actually coincide with how we teach or how I teach this morning. Uh, it's a bit different rather than an outright teaching that you might expect from me who's kind of nerdy and, and, and things like that. Uh, it's going to be more of a pastoral charge and exhortation uh, going into the new year and the launch of the church. And so uh, it's not going to be, you know, exactly exegetical like we usually do in, in, in how I kind of tend to be nerdy with things, but more of an exhortation to, to set our hearts right and our minds right as we prepare to step into what God has called us to uh, individually as, as believers, but corporately as a church. And so this morning, it's why we've centered our gathering around a time of prayer and preparation, a time of thanksgiving and purpose and consecration, asking God, God, make us holy. Make us like you so that we might reflect you to our neighbors in the world. It's really good to be, again, back in person. I just wanted to take time and really say that, like, we are honored by you being here. Our first gathering of 2022, you know, was virtual. We're like, 
Oh, who could have seen this coming again, right? This is how we would start 22. Uh, we're on Zoom, and like, honestly, it's like, you got to be kidding me, God. Like, we had a plan, and then you just threw that out the window, and it's, it might be for the better. We're going to trust his sovereignty in that. But, but we're here on a new year. It's hard to believe that we're here already, right, that 22 is already uh, kind of in our midst, like we're in the thick of it, and, and some of us have started that in isolation. Others have probably should have, <laughs> but, but this is kind of where we, we find ourselves, right? We're on the precipice of launching our church next week, starting the new year, but with that, a new year comes resolutions, right? We, we, we all know how this goes, right? Some of you have these incredible goals to like, I'm going to save this amount of money, or like, this, this, this is my word for the year. Uh, you know, we have these things that we have aims for going into the new year, right? Some of us have fitness goals. Others have savings goals. Others are simply just to survive. That's like me for 22. I'm like, Lord, just please let me make it through the year. <laughs> uh, and some of you have these things like I'm going to be encouraging or I'm going to be intentional. Or I'm going to be balanced. And, and with we love the new year because it symbolizes newness right, symbolizes a new beginning, right, we were just like, if I could just make it to the first, that's when I'm going to start, and then we like, the first comes, and it's on a Friday, you're like, okay, I'm going to start that on Monday, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to go ahead and pull this back a little bit, but, but we have a tendency uh, to have the mindset that, well, this past year I didn't, but this year I will, and we fill in the blank with whatever goal or idea or whatever have you that, that you might have, uh, we have it with that resolution. We might be feeling inspired to accomplish. The reality of our situation is this, that while we have high ambitions, we tend to fail in the basic disciplines to make small adjustments that would lead us to long-term effectiveness. Right? We, we, don't have, we, we, we have the lofty goals, but we don't have disciplines in place uh, to make small adjustments that will lead to long-term effectiveness. As a result, right, a 2016 study revealed that only about 9% of people who have resolutions ever end up feeling successful in accomplishing them. Nine. 9%. Why do I bring this up? I'm glad you hypothetically asked. <laughs> I'm not sure that you've noticed, but there's been a theme around our, our, our prayer moments. Right, as we enter into the new year pretend, uh, uh, and, and anticipate the launch of a new church, before we step into that, where we believe the Lord is leading us, we must pray and prepare our hearts to receive. And that starts with actually not having lofty ambitions, but remembering and setting things in stone in the here and the now. We see that this is, we see this and look at the text and see how that actually gets played out. Right in First Peter chapter two, Peter, one of the key leaders of the church, is writing this letter to various churches that are scattered throughout Asia Minor that are being persecuted. They're facing all sorts of trials and tribulations and hardship. But he begins this letter to this network of churches in Asia Minor by reminding them of this simple truth that they are God's chosen people. Right? We, this is the foundation by which we live. In the, passage, in the passages leading up to this primary text of ours, Peter's reminding the believers of their hope of eternal life, the inheritance they have in Christ, the salvation they have in Christ, the love that Jesus has 
for them. The fact that they have hope and have been born again. And he charges them to live holy. He exhorts them to get rid of their evil behavior, to do away with hypocrisy, jealousy. Uh, Some of this is going to be convicting, unkind speech, right? He charges the church to walk and live this way. Basically, what Peter does is this. He reminds their believers of their call to be different, a call to be holy. And church, I want to remind us this morning that if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you are called to be different for the sake of Christ and the benefit of the world. Here's how we do this. This is, again, not a typical teaching of how we would normally kind of walk through things, but I I believe these are three things that we need to be as we prepare to, to step into what God has for us, and this is this. First, we ought to be a people of praise. As we approach the new year and we prepare to honor God and reach the city, we must be a people dedicated to the praise of God, right? Peter leads into verse 9 by showing the church how people have rejected Jesus and says this, like, they have rejected Jesus, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people, royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And this fact alone should cause us to be people praise, right, that that God has saved us, that he has worked out this this plan for our lives, that God himself has chosen us for his purposes, not of any good that you have done or I have done, but simply because he loves us, right? God himself, the creator of all things good, right, and holy, has called and chosen you to be his son or daughter. We see Verse 10 is cause for great praise. Now you are God's people. Now you have received mercy. Praise is crucial to the life of a church and crucial to the life of God's people. The late theologian D.L. Moody once said this. He says, I don't care where it is, what part of the world it's in. If we have a praising church, we'll have successful Christianity. It's because we know where this gift comes from, that we honor God, and you will see the spread of his name and the glory and his renown go forth if we get this right. If we claim to be followers of Jesus, praise should overflow from our hearts, and whatever comes in life, the fact that we are chosen by God should bring joy to our heart, that praise would be on our lips, and thanksgiving ought to be in our hearts that would sustain us to glory. Right? That, that the fact that we are chosen by God, that he has rescued us and saved us, ought to bring praise in our hearts that would sustain us until the end of time. This idea isn't found in the New Testament alone. Peter uses this language uh, that is also found in Deuteronomy 7. I don't know if some of you are, are kind of walking through the Bible uh, from front to back in this new year. This is a desire, right, for, for some of us. I have elected to try and do that again for 30 days, the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And I was in Deuteronomy, and this language kept, kept popping up. Deuteronomy 7, where God refers to the people of Israel in the same way. He refers to them as chosen people, a treasured possession, right? The same language we see Peter using in 1 Peter chapter 2, right? The Old Testament theologian Jack Deary highlights this reality. He says, God has selected Israel as his means of sanctifying the earth. Thus, they were wholly set apart for God's special use and were his treasured possession, right? That God has selected a people, right? This is what we would call in New Testament language a church, 
for his special purpose, right? To be used for his glory. Guess what? The same is said of you and I, that we are set apart for his special use, a means of, as the theologian says, as a means of sanctifying the earth, meaning that the earth would look more like Jesus. Or as Peter writes in verse 9, so that you can show others the goodness of God. Believer, if you claim to be of Jesus, then the purpose of our lives, the way that our lives should look, is should bring glory to God and that others would see God's goodness through your life. That is a daunting, daunting task. Our identity as sons and daughters of God should cause us to praise, which leads to showing the world who God is. The New Testament theologian Thomas Schreiner writes this, that the church of Jesus is a people now set apart for the Lord, enjoying his special presence and favor. And as we enjoy the presence and favor that God gives us as sons and daughters, that comes with responsibility. We are people of purpose. That's what we just prayed about a while ago, that we ought to be people of purpose. If we are identified now as sons and daughters, chosen people, right, holy, set apart, the question simply is this, what for or why? Right? It's not this thing that I just become a Christian and then I, I, I'm done and I just sit on my hands until kingdom come and then, and then I don't have to worry about sin and I don't have to worry about the pressures of the world, right? God has called us for purpose. Luckily, the scriptures don't leave us wondering, right? If we are to remember anything about our purpose, it is to bask and take in the love of God and share the message of the gospel of the kingdom and love of God to the world. Schreiner, again, he's one of my favorite commentary writers, best sums it up by saying this, the purpose of the people of God is now explained. God has chosen them to be his people, established them as royal priesthood, appointed them as a holy nation to be a special possession. Check this out. So that they would declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He goes on to say this, that God's ultimate purpose in everything he does is designed to bring him praise. It's Isaiah 43, 7. He says this, the declaration of God's praises include both worship and evangelism. The spreading the good news of God, saving wonders to all people. So the purpose isn't just for our enjoyment, but for the salvation of those around us. Right? That, that, that evangelism, the sharing of our faith, the hope that we have, is a natural response and overflow to the praise and purpose that God is honored and due. This is our responsibility. But our purpose is not absent of a message. The message being that God in his love for humanity sent Jesus to earth so that we might have hope, freedom, and that he even now is calling people out of darkness into his marvelous life. That God even now is doing that in the world around us. We have to have our eyes open to that truth. That God is still, to this day, calling people out of darkness into marvelous life. God gives us this gift and calls us, all of us who claim Jesus as Lord, man, woman, or child, to simultaneously both receive the gift and to give it away to anyone and everyone that would listen. This is the purpose of the church, to bring honor to God, to build up his people, and to send them out to make disciples of all nations, beginning with our neighbors. 
It makes no sense. I used to do college ministry. Uh, for those of you that have known me a little while, I, I, I love doing college ministry. Meg Craig is college ministry extraordinaire, and she's killing it on campus. Uh, but I remember we would, we would do interviews all the time for students that were going on missions, and, and they would say, like, hey, uh, I want to go on a mission trip. And they said, what are you doing now to spread the gospel to the people around you? Uh, nothing. I was like, then why do you want to go to Africa to do it? I go, oh. <laughs> I know that sounds harsh, but, but, but it, it's true. Like, we have to be people that are called to our neighbors, right? This is, this is the reality of, of who God has called us to be. Because salvation isn't for us alone. It's for the people around us. William Tyndale once said this, that the church is the, the one institution that exists for those outside of it. Right? The church exists for the people out, outside these walls. Right? That they would find hope. That they would find peace. That they would find forgiveness. That they would find salvation. You know why? Because we were once those people. That the church, the God's people, existed for people like us. Right? And I love this, that God has called this, that we, meaning you and I, are commissioned by Jesus not to just sit, sing some songs, and play church every week. Rather, God has called us to give of ourselves for the love of God and for the sake of the world. Because of our purpose, our community should be better. Because God is love, we ought to be the most loving people in the world, right? Because of God's forgiveness, we should be the most forgiving people in our neighborhoods, right? Because of God's mercy, we should be the most merciful, Right? Because the joy that God brings, we should be the most joyful people. Right? Our encounter with Jesus radically alters the way we live, or at least it should. Because then I wonder what your faith might actually be in if it doesn't. Right? And, and I'm saying this, that, that, that because God has rescued and ransomed us, right, we should be the most joyful people. That, that our communities would want us a part of them because of how we live our lives. I remember I mentioned I used to do college ministry, and I did that for the better part of 10 years vocationally, and it was some of the best times of my life. But if you know anything about college ministry, it can be difficult, uh, very difficult because you're putting your stakes in 22-year-olds or 18 to 22-year-olds to like navigate this whole faith thing, and they're your leadership team. And basically in church saying, those are your elders. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> God, you've called me to this. Are you sure? Like, uh, but here's, here's the, the crazy thing. Being on a college campus can be really difficult because you're at the mercy of the campus rules. Right? So I can't just go up to people and share Jesus because the campus says, hey, uh, if you do that, you're, not, you're no longer a, a Christian organization. Now, there are some people that have made that really difficult for people that try and be normal. You know, you know what I mean? Like, there's people with signs of, like, you're going to hell or whatever. Like, like, dude, I'm a Christian. I just had this conversation with you, and you're telling me I'm going to hell. He's like, well, not you really, but, like, I just did that so everybody could hear. And I'm like, well, you just attacked me. <laughs> and so, so here's the thing, right? We're, there, there are rules uh, in how we can, can evangelize. And I bring this up to say this. I remember at one time I was uh, working on staff at Texas A&M Kingsville BSM, and kind of campus restrictions had, had shifted the way that we had to do ministry, and that's not uncommon. But it really, really took some wind out of ourselves because we relied on the first two weeks to really meet students, right? This is where, like, everybody's rushing to meet people, and, and all the sororities, fraternities are out there, like, blasting their music. And usually this is when we would, like, kind of our recruitment time, you know, we would go find people. And we were really bummed because we didn't get that opportunity. 
the following year, uh, it, we got a call from Campus Activities, which if you're a Christian org, that's usually a bad phone call. You're like, crap, they're about to, sorry, I don't know, can I say crap? I said crap. I said it. It's whatever. <laughs> uh, I was like, crap, we're, we're, we're about to get kicked off of this thing for sure. Like, this is never a good, this is never a good call. And actually, it was. It was the, the dean of campus activities, and the dean of campus activities at the time said, hey, uh, is this Izzy with BSA? And I was like, it depends on what's, the, like, what's happening. And, and they're like, no, it's a good call. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is Izzy. <laughs> and they said, hey, uh, hey, real quick, would I have a question. I don't know if you'd be interested. Uh, this is kind of like a far-stretched idea. And I was like, hit me with it. And she said this. She said, hey, uh, we've known, like, the BSM students are some of the nicest and, like, friendliest people on campus. And I was like, where is this going? <laughs> and she said, hey, would y'all mind, like, your team, could y'all just lead all the freshman recruiting events so you can host, like, the game nights, like the Javelina camp where, like, freshmen have to go to? Could you do that for us for the entire summer? And I was like, yes, absolutely. We can. <laughs> and so, so because people of God were living like people of God, they were seeing kindness. They were seeing joy exuded. We, got, we, didn't, we didn't get to share the gospel from the stage or anything like that. But, but what we got to see was believers interacting with people that were just like them. And that year, we probably saw like 40 people come to Christ. I got an update this week because I, I still support some, some campus missionaries at A&M Kingsville. And 18 people came to Christ in the last, like, 12 weeks. And people are just living out this purpose, being different, being called. And it's a beautiful thing. And I pray that that would be true of us, right? That, that if you're a part of an apartment complex, that, that you would throw the best parties and show the love of Jesus there, right? If you're the vice president of your HOA, like Ryan Proudfoot. <laughs> it's true it's true it's kind of funny man that you would share the love of Jesus and that Will would make the best barbecue in his Traeger <laughs> and invite the whole party right this is how we show and share the love of Jesus is by being called by living from your purpose in a way that's different this is quite the task but we don't have to do it of our own strength because God empowers us by his Holy Spirit to accomplish his purposes, right? Because of this, the church should, or we should desire, this is the last thing, to be people of power, right? Just as God has made us holy, he grants us power to do what he has called us to do. It's not relying on my own strength. Naturally, I am introverted, and I don't want to talk to people about, like, I love Jesus, but I don't want to just go up to people and talk about Jesus. I'm like... We'll find a way to get there. You know, like, this is why COVID was, like, great for me. I was like, I have to stay home for 10 days. <laughs> uh, <it> was, sorry. <laughs> but, 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 but here's the thing. It's not of our own strength, right? It doesn't matter if you're introverted. You have the Holy Spirit that can give you the ability to, to share the love of Jesus with anyone and everyone. Some of the best, the best evangelists that we had in our ministry at BSM were introverts. Right, because it was God leading them to have these conversations and, and, and use 
God's spirit to, to, to empower, they use God's spirit, God empowered them to do this. Acts 1.8 makes this clear when Luke quotes Jesus by saying, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the Judea and the, the ends of the earth. Right? God grants us the Holy Spirit, which produces a power within his people to be his witnesses to the people around us. The late uh, theologian Charles Spurgeon, who's one of my favorite says this, in proportion as a church is holy, in that proportion will its testimony for Christ be powerful. Right? So long as we are holy and living set apart, then we are going to be a powerful people. Right? As, as individuals, but as a collective church. This is why we prayed a prayer of uh, consecration, asking the Lord to make us holy. It is only when we are operating in the way of Jesus that we can be most effectively used by Jesus. Right? When we're operating according to, to God's commands and rules, and we are setting ourselves up and through God's Spirit to be effective witnesses for His glory. Or put, to put it in the words of the great Catholic theologian G.K. Chesterton, we do not want, as the newspapers say, a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. Right, that, that as God's spirit is, is making us holy, is setting, apart, setting us apart for his purposes, we'll not move with the world, but as a church, as a people of God, that we would move the world. Right, that we would step into these communities and serve people like they've never been served. Right, that we would step into spaces and, and love our barista or our waiter or waitress like they've never been loved before. That we would show generosity to them like no one has shown generosity before. Why? Because God has put this in our hearts and we are being effectively used so that we would not just move with the world, but that we would change it. Right? And I am naive enough and dumb enough or young enough to think that by God's grace we can the power, the power, this power, the Holy Spirit's power, will take a coward like Peter who denied Jesus three times in the Gospel of Luke and days later change him and transform him into the man that would preach with boldness and proclaim the Gospel so that 3,000 people would get saved and repent. This power would make 12 ordinary men leave their lives behind a follower, a teacher, who would then go on and change the world with his message of forgiveness of sin and eternal life. This power is available to you and to me for the purpose of making much of Jesus. But this power only comes through being made holy, and that happens as a result of being with Jesus. Acts 4.13 says that the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men, I love this, who had been with Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer, if you claim Christ, you don't need all this special training. You don't need to wait for the next thing that God has equipped you now. You just have to be with him. And that will come as an overflow of spending time with, with, with Jesus. Right? I love that, that they had recognized that they were just ordinary people, but they had recognized that they had been with Jesus. And that begs the question that if someone were to examine your life, what would they say of you, right? Would others see the power at work within you and say, wow, man, Ernest has been with Jesus. Man, Betsy has been with Jesus. Haley has been 
with Jesus, that people would look on our lives and say, man, they have been with Jesus. Like their lives are different. Right? The way they love is different. The way they serve is different. They're not expecting anything in return. Right? They're just loving out of the overflow of being loved by God. As a result of these things, my prayer is that the ending of our passage would be true. That we would be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors, that then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. May we live holy and by doing so, others would honor Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different than the world, she invariably attracts it. That the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. That people would see, man, there's something about that love. There's something about those people. May this be said of us. May people see our lives and see our church and see the community and see the way that you serve and honor people. Don't mistreat them. Don't talk ill of them, even if they believe differently than you, whether that's faith, political tribe, socioeconomic status, that they would see your love in life and they would desire to know Jesus, make disciples, and serve the city. We're going to respond to this charge by singing together in praise to God, thanking him for the purpose he has given us and being grateful that he has given his church the power to accomplish his will. We're going to respond in this way that this isn't a, a, a task that we're just going to be kind of sitting on our hands, but we're going to respond in thanksgiving and grateful to God for the, the way that he has called us to do this. May we repent. You might ask, okay, so how do I respond to this? Uh, in praise. If you're looking for a place to start, something to think through, I pray this, that we would repent where we have fallen short, because we all have, that we would thank God for his mercy and celebrate the fact that he calls us sons and daughters and entrusted us to carry the message of the gospel. My prayer is simple, that as we prepare our hearts and minds and souls to launch this new church next week, I pray that we would be a city on a hill that refuses to be hidden. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for this day. God, we thank you for the blessing it is that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. God, we rejoice as people who have been saved, people that once had no hope, we now have hope. For people who did not have mercy, we have now received mercy. Jesus, we thank you that you have saved our souls, and we thank you that you have called us to spread this message of the gospel to anyone and everyone that would hear. God, may we be found faithful. May we be found holy. May we be found set apart. And God, may we be the most loving people on the planet Earth. 
God, we pray for the neighborhoods around this space, the neighborhoods that we live in. God, the, the people that we encounter, our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, our baristas, our waiters, our waitresses. God, that they would experience the love of Jesus and they would see our lives and ask, what is it about them? That we would be able to proclaim, it's not our own, it's not of ourselves, but it's the love of God that has transformed my life and it desires to transform yours. So church, we pray, we respond in thanksgiving that we would declare this praise and say, thank you, Jesus, for trusting me with this. May we be found faithful. May we be a city on the hill. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.